Well, typically here at Calvary, uh, one of the things we do is we'll go chapter by chapter through a book of the Bible. Every once in a while we'll look topically and we'll just put the verses there on on your outline. We're going to do that today. We've just completed the book of Philippians. And so as we come to this last week before Christmas, if you've been around for any length of time, you know that I tend to get very introspective as we begin to face the new year. And I begin to ask, what did I get right this year? What did I get wrong? What do I want to do different? How do I want to do things better in the coming year? And last week we stopped and we talked about the power of prayer. We talked about the power of praise, uh, things that are often overlooked as, as uh, believers. They're in the Bible, but many times we don't stop to consider those. Today I want to talk, I want to take a few minutes to talk about what many consider the single most important aspect of life, single most important aspect of marriage, the single most important aspect of parenting. I'm going to suggest that, that you might not consider this the single most important, but it's really important. And it's something that's woven throughout the Bible, cover to cover, and uh, yet many times it's something that we miss. May, many uh, of us, if you're like me, I come from one genre of church background, and because one side of the church can be a little weird about this, the other side of the church responds by never talking about it at all. But it's still something very, very powerful, and I do believe it's one of the most powerful aspects of our life, and, and it's just simply the power of our words. Now, to, to get this, we have to understand how the ancient Hebrews thought, the ancient Israelites. You see, the ancient Jewish people, the ancient Hebrews, they believed that everything existed, everything came into existence because of words. God said, let there be, let there be light, and it was. It all came into existence because God spoke it. When I was in seminary, my professor for Old Testament, George Kufelt, he would say that the ancient Hebrews believed that words were like containers. They were like, and the containers would go forward and they would have this creative effect as they went. They were like seeds. And when you put them out there, they'd begin to sprout and they begin to take root and they begin to develop something. And so the Hebrews believed that because man was created in the image of God, and God spoke everything into existence that man created in his image. Also, when we speak, those words have a profound effect in our lives, in our marriage, in our children, and just in our future. So the Hebrews believed in the power of words so much, and you'll see this woven all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. One of the passages that we're familiar with in the New Testament, James, uh, if you've ever read that amazing little book, James takes an entire chapter to talk about this. And he says, look at the ships also there on your outline. Though they're so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue. And James says, our tongues are literally the rudder of our life. He goes on to talk about they're also like a fire. You can have a campfire which can keep you warm, but a fire can also burn down your house depending on where and how you use that. So, so much in the Bible uh, was based upon the 
spoken word, and they emphasized the spoken word so much so that the ancient Hebrews would practice what's called the blessing. So there would be a certain point in someone's life where uh, the parent would take the child and they would speak the blessing, and they believed that it had a profound effect. So you've all heard the story in Genesis, there's a story of Jacob and uh, Esau, and they're brothers. And Jacob tricks his dad into giving him the blessing, but Esau was supposed to get that blessing. But Jacob gets the blessing, and it was uh, spoken over him. It went out. And so Esau comes in, and he finds that his dad has given Jacob the blessing. And so Esau says, and I put it there in your outline, how much they believe this, Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Esau says. And Isaac said to Esau, I've made Jacob your master and have declared, underline that word declared, that all his brothers will be his servants. And I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? The idea is that it had gone out. And once it had gone out, it began to literally take effect and begin to create the future. And so they believe that. They believe that because it's true. Now, in the New Testament, Paul would say it like this. There in your outline. By faith, Isaac blessed, and you see that word eulogio, Jacob and Esau, in regard to their future. And I've underlined that word future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed, eulogio, each of Joseph's sons. So the word bless, blessing, in the Greek is the word eulogio, and that's the word that we get our English word eulogy. Yeah, you can say it out loud. You'll never get it wrong here, I promise. You'll never get it wrong. So you want to write that down. Now, eulogio is a compound word in the original language. Uh, To bless means you, which means well, And then logio is logos, and it just means something said. So the idea is to speak well, to speak well. And the the reason that it's called eulogy, and we tend to say that at a funeral, is have you noticed that nobody ever says anything bad about somebody at a funeral? We all think it, but we don't say it at a funeral. So so the, the blessing eulogio was given. Now Paul, when he would write, he would say, bless, eulogio, those who persecute you, bless, eulogio, and do not curse. Literally, he says, eulogize those who are persecuting you. Speak well of them. Speak favorably of them. So in the Jewish culture, in their tradition, the Jewish parents would practice the blessing, the eulogizing of their children on the front end of their life. And as they would bless them on the front end of their life, they believed that it would have an effect on their future. So they didn't wait till somebody passed away to begin the eulogizing or the blessing. There's a great book. By the way, there's three books. This one I'm going to actually quote from today, read some quotes from. Bless and Be Blessed by Peter Lord. It's a great book. This book, What You Say is What You Get by Don Gossett. I read this in 2007. It totally changed my life. It talks about this. And another book that is awesome about what we're going to talk about today is called Say It Faith, and it's by Elmer Towns. Elmer Towns is the co-founder of Liberty University. He's a Baptist theologian. Anything you read by Elmer Towns, you can trust, and it's, it's absolutely awesome. So 
they believed that, that, that they were to eulogize their kids so much. And this is just part of the Jewish culture. So much so that in the book Bless and Be Blessed, it says, it says, as a matter of tradition, Jewish parents spur their children on to great success. What they say has such an effect on them that in the United States, there are fewer Jews in jail and more successful Jews in high places than members of any other ethnic group. Percentage-wise, Jews are awarded more Nobel and Pulitzer Prizes than any other group. Goes on to say, because this is so part of their culture, this book is written several decades ago, you might recognize this name if you're as old as me. Bill Glass, a former professional football player, directs one of the largest prison ministries in the country. A statement in one of his audio tapes really grabbed my attention. He said, one year there were 60,000 inmates in Florida, prison, in Florida prisons and only 13 Jews. They believe that if they speak the future, they begin to eulogize, bless their children, it has an effect on how their children turn out. So, so much so, that's why there on your outline, you notice this verse from Proverbs, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, the truth is we are all speaking death or life in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our life. So what I'm going to share over the course of the next few moments is something that works for everyone. It's something that every one of us needs to know. We need to practice. Again, this is from cover to cover in the Bible. James would say that our mouth, our tongue, is like a rudder, literally directing our life. I love how Paul says it. Paul says it like this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. I love that word, framed. By the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. It was all framed by words. Jewish parents understood that as they blessed, eulogized their children, it would literally begin to frame their children's lives. They believed that their words were actually creating something. It was having a profound effect on their children's lives. So the first thing I want you to write down is this, that my words are framing my life. Also, it's going to frame my spouse, my marriage, my children. And uh, words literally make us. It's been said that marriages begin when two people can't say anything bad about one another, but marriages end when two people can't say anything good about one another. Words have a profound effect in our lives. And so we're always framing. The words that come out of our mouth are always framing our families, our lives, our children. Uh, I love this verse also. Paul would say it like this. And we're all familiar with the first part, but we forget the second part. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Underline, so that, so that. Here's going to be the result of the words. The man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We're all familiar with the first part of that verse, but the second part of that verse is the result of the word as it comes into our life. 
we're, we're not, we don't begin adequate equipped. It's when God's word comes into our life and it begins to have an effect. So you want to write this down. Write this down that the word comes before the result. The word comes before the result. So if, if this is true and the ancients understood and they believed and we see this throughout scripture that I'm framing my life and I'm framing my spouse and I'm framing my children and that's having a, du- a direct effect in their lives. The big question is, and you want to write this down, what do I want to build? What do I want to build? What do I want to frame? Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, The Seven Habits of the Highly Effective People, he said, always begin with the end in mind. So what is it that I want? If I'm going to frame something, I'm going to build something with my words, what do I want? In my, our family, we, we practice this. So uh, I, I'll walk in, especially when my kids were little. Uh, some of them were growing up, but I still have three six-year-olds. Three six-year-olds and uh, I'll walk in. I, I remember when my big kids, when they were small, and they'd be sitting at the breakfast table, and I'd walk in, and I'd go, you guys are the most amazing kids in the whole world. I love, I got, I've got to kiss this face. Which can be, and I got to kiss, and I, and I grab their face, I go, like that. And you are so amazing. I love that I get to be your dad. And you could just see them go, <laughs> it had an effect. It was taking an effect. And I, I, I would begin to just frame in that way. Uh, in our family, you've heard me say that we get excited about certain things we celebrate. Uh, when our boys first were being potty trained, we would celebrate going pee-pee on the potty, and uh, we'd sing the pee-pee on the potty song, pee-pee on the potty, pee-pee. Did you sing that song? It's an exciting song. And then we do the pee-pee on the potty dance. Well, I, right now, I want to tell you, we got excited about that, and right now, by faith, I want to proclaim to you that my boys will in fact at some point go beyond pee-pee on the potty, and one day they will actually go pee-pee in the potty. I believe (laughs) that's going to take place. But we celebrate that, and I want to speak those words and frame them. And here's why. Here's why. Here's what I've learned in marriage, and here's what I've learned in parenting. Notice this verse. You have to live with the consequences of everything you say. That verse hits me. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But I want to really think that through as I frame in my family. One of the things I've learned, and I want you to write this down, is that my words feed souls. My words feed souls. You know, Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just as the Father's words feed our souls, our words are feeding the souls of the significant people around us. You know, words are food. They're they're emotional food. And here's the thing we've learned about food. Food can be nutritious, and some food can be poison. And I need to make sure that what I'm feeding those souls is nutritious. I have in my notes, I remember, and I, I did this with all my girls, but I have this memory of, of uh, sitting there in, in the bedroom and I have my laptop open, I'm sitting in my chair and I'm working and I'm really into my world. And at that time, Maggie, uh, Maggie was two, she's nine now, and she would do this every day. And so I remember the first day she put on a dress and she wanted to come and see what daddy thought. So she steps in front of daddy 
And she's doing this with her hands like this. And I'm in my world, you know. And uh, Cheryl says, Dan. And I look over and there she's standing there. I go, oh my goodness, you are so beautiful. I can't believe how pretty you are. I love that. And you can just see her. She's like, feeds their little souls. I want to make sure that I'm feeding those souls. You know, um, I've learned in life, and dads, this is something for us, but we learn in life that our daughters need to have their emotional souls, their emotional tanks spoken into. It needs to be full. Uh, They need to hear from us that they are so beautiful, they're so amazing, and here's why. Because if we send them out with an empty emotional tank... What's going to happen is some guy is going to come along, not the guy that we'd always dreamed, and he's going to begin to speak and fill that emotional tank. And what's going to happen is they're going to follow him, and uh, usually to a place that we regret. We want to make sure that we send them out. So we tell them, you are so beautiful. You've heard me say, so I want my my daughters to go out in such a way that some guy comes up and says, baby, you are so fine. I want her, I want want my daughters to say, yeah? Well, my dad's been telling me that every day since I was two. What else do you bring into the table? You know, (laughs) what else you got? Yeah. In our family, uh, I've learned... You know, people say, how do you do it? Well, <laughs> a lot of prayer. But we've homeschooled 11 children. Some of them can read. But was we... <laughs> and, and our family's like your family. Our family, I come home some days and it's just so overwhelming. You can just tell the day that, that Cheryl's had and she's in tears. And I know that, you know, uh, fixing it is not something I need to do. I just need to listen and encourage and say, Honey, you're a great mom. You're a great mom. You, you, you know, you've gone above and beyond. And I just love that you do this. I love being your husband. And I'm so thankful that I get to be married to you. They need encouragement. Ladies, your husband needs encouragement too. So find something that you can... <laughs> I love that your heart is beating. You know, because if it doesn't, they don't cut the insurance check for 90 days. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) But they need that, don't they? We all do. We all do. Hey, I want to give you a verse. Guys, this is positive, but it's negative. How we use this verse. There in your outline. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. Underline, so that. So that, so that, none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The Bible teaches that our encouraging words are a safeguard against a hardened heart. When my kids were little, I remember Abigail when she was three and I would carry her around. Anybody that would come up to me to say hi, she'd say, my daddy, my daddy, my daddy. And, uh, you know, and they're all that way when they're, they're that little. But what I've learned and we all do, is if I parent with a harsh tone, if I parent with harsh words, what happens is their hearts begin to become calloused and hardened. And what takes place is by the time they're about 15, 16, their hearts can be so calloused that they go, I'm done. 
I'm done. And we've all seen that. And, and so I want to make sure that I'm speaking encouragement into their lives. You know, if, if you're, you're married and your natural communication style is a little bit on the harsh side, your wife isn't, or your husband isn't going to leave you the first time that you're harsh. But what's going to take time is over time, if you continue to be harsh, they get a little bit more callous, a little bit more callous. And it goes on. And one day they go, I have nothing left. I have nothing left. So Paul says, make sure that you are encouraging one another day after day. You know, I wish that I could tell you I always get this right. But I'm like you. I don't get it right. And I've said some things. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to go down, to the, go down the hall and walk in my kid's bedroom and say, I missed it. I missed it. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Because it's not the person I want to be. It's not the dad that I want you to have. So when you mess it up, you've got to go back and you've got to go back quick and you've got to be humble and say, I messed up. I messed up. So my words feed little souls. So I want to make sure that I'm speaking the blessing when I speak to them. You want to write that down. So in the Old Testament, God comes to Moses and he says there in your outline, now the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons. Now Aaron and his sons are the priests. He says, tell Aaron and his sons, that they, are to give, that they are to give this special blessing to the people of Israel. And here's the special blessing. You might want to underline it. May the Lord bless and protect you. May the Lord's face radiate with joy because of you. May, may he be gracious to you and show you his favor and give you his peace. And I love this. He says, now this is how how, and I've underlined that word, how Aaron and his sons shall call down my blessings, God says. I've underlined that. My blessings upon the people of Israel. I myself will personally bless them. Hey guys, this is how God told the religious leadership in the Old Testament to speak to their congregation, that you're to call down God's blessings on them. Have you ever been in an environment where it wasn't so much the calling down of God's blessings, but a good scolding? You don't get that in the Bible. My hope and prayer is that as you come to Calvary, you're always encouraged, even when we talk about the challenging times. But I love that verse because it says that God's blessing is released into their lives when it's spoken by the religious leaders. And I believe that God's blessing is released in our marriage and in our children when we take the time to speak that to our children. You know, I have 12 children with 12 personalities and, and uh, one of the children in my family who has so much life. Uh, her name is Avery Joy. Avery means out of heaven, Avery Joy. Out of heaven came joy, and that's her name. And so um, but Avery's personality is it's, it's full of excitement. It's bigger than life. Uh, it's, you know, and uh, how many of you grew up watching the old Bugs Bunny cartoons and they had the Tasmanian devil? So picture the Tasmanian devil doing what the Tasmanian does with a big smile and a big heart. And that's kind of like Avery. You know, it's, everything happens. 
And, you know, I can, I, I'll go to her, and sometimes when something gets broken, which happens sometimes, and, and I'll say, Avery Joy, you are such a joy to me. I love being your dad. I love that I get to be your dad. What do you think that does to that little soul? Just lights up, just comes alive as she hears that. So I want to speak the blessing, and I'll say God is going to do big things, big things in your life. You know, it's easier to lash out at our kids, isn't it, when they do things? And God says that's when we need to especially learn to speak the blessing. You're an amazing kid. I don't know why you did this, but I want you to know, aside, you know, this happened, these things happened, but you are an amazing kid, and God has big plans in your life. As I speak the blessing number four, I want to speak the desired future. The desired future. Jesus was a master of this. In the Sermon on the Mount, you have the disciples. Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount actually to the disciples, not to the crowd. The crowd is listening in. And the disciples haven't been disciples for very long. And Jesus turns to these disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. You are. And imagine how that must have hit them because when you read this story, there wasn't always a lot of really good light coming out of them, but he spoke the future. And we all know the story there on your outline. It goes to Peter, Simon, whom he also named Peter. Peter is Petros or rock. What I love about that is that Jesus was calling Peter the rock long before Peter was showing signs of stability. Peter, you're the rock. This is who you're going to be. And he just continued to call him that, the rock. I I love this one. In Luke's gospel, it says, after he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, underline that, named Levi sitting in the tax booth, he said to him, follow me. Now, when Matthew tells the story, same story, but notice this. As he went from there, he saw a man called Matthew, called Matthew, sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Matthew means gift of God, gift of God. See, his mama named him Levi, but Jesus called him the gift of God. Levi is sitting in a tax collector's booth. He's probably from the tribe of Levi, which would have meant that he was trained as a priest, which is why when you read the Gospel of Matthew, same guy, he has such an amazing command of the Old Testament. But he was a tax collector for the Romans. He was despised, he was hated, he was considered a traitor. And people said bad things about him, but Jesus showed up one day and called him the gift of God, the gift of God. And there was something in speaking that future into Matthew that he stood up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. And we have the most amazing gospel because somebody spoke the desired future when he was still a trader and a tax collector. Jesus called him Matthew. I love the stories that I hear. Many of you know of Charles Stanley. I love to listen to Charles Stanley and and, uh, his son, Andy Stanley. Andy pastors a church in, uh, in Atlanta. Andy and his church probably runs about 20,000 people. And uh, Andy says that he remembers growing up in his family every day, his dad would look at him and say, Andy, 
God's going to do big things in your life. Andy, God's going to do big things in your life. And when you hear some of the stories that Andy did when he was a teenager and as a young adult, you don't hear those stories and think that God's going to do big things in his life. But somebody had the wisdom to speak the future. Andy, God's going to do big things in your life. And God has done some big things in Andy's life. So we tell our boys when they do right and when they don't, God's going to do big things in your life. God has a big plan for you in your life. And uh, you're going to accomplish great things. Right now you're in great man training. God's going to do big things. I've come to realize that we are all speaking the future in our marriage and to our children and in our life. The question isn't, are we speaking the future? The question is, what future are we speaking? What future are we speaking? As we speak that desired future, I want to speak the future in faith. Paul would say it like this, by faith, Isaac blessed Eulogio, Jacob, and Esau in regard to their future. He didn't know what the future held, but he spoke it in faith. Right now, if your marriage is on the rocks, I want to encourage you to begin speaking in faith the desired future that you want. You're a great wife. You're a great husband. I love being married to you. If your kids have gone sideways, begin speaking. Right now, if your child is struggling with addiction, you need to say, I believe that God has a big plan for you in your life. I see the day when you're going to be helping tens of thousands of people kick what seems to be an impossible situation in their life. God has allowed you to go through this. He didn't want it, but he's allowed you to go through it because there's something that he wants to do and he's going to use it and it's going to be great and I can't wait. Speak the future. Speak the future. We can all speak the problem. That doesn't fix it. Speak the future. And then... I would encourage us to, as we do that, to practice praising. Practice praising for our children. I love this book by Peter Lord, Bless and Be Blessed. And uh, he talks about this. And he says something that I find very interesting. He says, we were made in the image and likeness of God who desires and wants our praise. So it's natural for us, made in his image, to need and to want praise too. The psalmist said that we're to enter God's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And and so when we interact with our spouse, just as God calls us to enter his courts with praise, uh, and we're created in the image of God. So God wants praise. He's created us in his image. We need praise. So as we enter into the courts of our children, our spouse in our life. We want to practice praising. So notice this verse, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as also in fact you are doing. In our family, what we try to do is we try to find the strength. Some of our kids have amazing abilities and they're all different. So I want to find that ability and I want to tell them, you're really good at this. God's going to use this in your life. Noah, who's now 17, is 
the friendliest kid on the planet. God's going to use that in some way. And we tell him all the time. Now, there's a lot of things that we don't, we haven't arrived yet. Okay. We haven't perfected cleaning the bathroom. And I love the smell of urine coming down the hallway as much as anyone. (laughs) But I want to find what they're good at. We got to take care of these things, but you're really good at this and God's going to use this in your life. So I want to practice praising. So one of the ways you do that, you've heard me say this before, if your kid comes home with a bad report card, you say it's just because they don't know how to teach a genius at that school. (laughs) Find something, find something. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time, I asked myself this question, when was the last time I came to my kid, not in a weird way, or, or my spouse, my wife, and just told them all the things that they're really good at and praise them for that. Do that and watch what God does. I've learned in life that the four most powerful words are, and you want to write this down, I believe in you. I believe in you. I think you can do it. You're smart enough. You're good enough. You're awesome. You can do this. I believe in you. As we end this year and we begin the new year, my hope and my prayer is that each of us can look at the words that we say, and many of us remember the hurtful words that were given to us as children and the effect that they had. But we can break that chain, and we can break it in this generation, and we can speak something different in our marriage and in our children as we go forward. Did you find that interesting today? Good. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And then Lord, thank you so much for revealing our words. And I pray that as we go forward, that we would be an encouragement to the people around us. That Lord, maybe we've blown it so much, but we can, we can change. We can stop it and we can begin to speak the truth. And they won't believe it at first, but that's okay because we're not going to stop. And Lord, you've allowed some amazing people in our lives, spouses and children, and we're going to speak the future. And we're going to speak it in faith. And we're going to be a one-person pep rally for our spouse and for our, our kids. I thank you, Lord, for this congregation, and I pray you keep us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said... God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.